This is ice ice. Like if you went to the store and bought a brick of ice, a 10 pound block, it's like that. And hard enough that when you hit it with just a five pound sledge or brass hammer, it does absolutely nothing sometimes. And we thought, you know, if anything, we'd be blown off a of Palmer, not be able to get up there for a couple of days. But we were wrong. Yeah, this is a, a situation that is not common at all. Get ready for a Black Diamond episode of the Mountain Works podcast. crew welcome back to the mountain works podcast providing insider intel on how ski areas happen created by and for ski area employees in the northwest i'm jordan elliott and today we have a whopper if you think back not too far to episode 13 that whole situation where we toured around timberline oregon with jeff constam Jeff talked a little bit about the Palmer lift and the severe ice storm that took that sucker out in February of 2020. That was amid COVID. It was amid the start of the supply chain issues, that whole ordeal and the planetary forces that can happen up on Mount Hood. But you know what? There's probably no one who could sum it up better than Timberline's own John Burton. Let's take a couple minutes and let him hit the highlights. What Palmer means to Timberline, it does two things. It, it, it jumpstarts um, our early season skiing, but more importantly, what it's known for, it allows Timberline to ski 12 months a year. Timberline has the longest uh, ski season in North America. Palmer sits further up the mountain. The bottom terminal begins at about 7,000 feet and takes people about up to 8,300 feet, well above the tree line. While Palmer can offer uh, you know, year-round skiing here at Timberline, it also is, is situated way up on the mountain. And it can be an extremely harsh environment. Uh, in the wintertime, storms are very common. Early February, the first week, there was uh, two giant ice storms that came in, encased the entire chairlift, uh, towers, cables, chairs and everything, and, and feet of ice. And uh, as a result, Palmer sustained significant major damage, which um, rendered it inoperable for the rest of the season. There was so much ice encased on some of the towers that the, the top tower arms, those are kind of the, the scarecrow looking arms at the top of the towers that people see, were actually physically bent. In addition to that, it, it pretty much ruined the rope. And the rope is what everyone knows is the cable. In order to fix Palmer, it was a, you know, it's a titanic effort to begin with. And then you throw in COVID on top of everything, and we were worried about getting Palmer ready for you know our, our legendary summer season. So basically what had to happen is we had to order a new rope or a new cable. 
Um, that cable came from Switzerland during COVID. Uh, it's two miles long, weighed approximately 50,000 pounds, and had to be manufactured, shipped across the Atlantic Ocean, trucked across the U.S., and then eventually drug up to Palmer and, and restrung. So it was a titanic effort. Giant team had to come together of highly skilled people. So we needed helicopter time, an incredible pilot, electricians, engineers from Doppelmar, the, the chairlift manufacturer, and, and mostly our the Timberline lift maintenance crew. And we can't say enough about how hard those guys have been working to, to orchestrate this, this whole you know, giant dance of putting Palmer back together in, in an extreme mountain environment with weird weather windows, with summer ski season bearing down on us. So now, this is exciting. We have two Black Diamond episodes. We're cutting this up into part one and part two. And these are recordings from the 2022 Mountain Works Conference and Trade Show, which was held in Bend, Oregon. And I'm not exaggerating in saying that these are Black Diamond expert level episodes. These episodes are for the technical experts at your ski area. That's not to say that you won't enjoy them if you don't work in mountain operations or specifically lift maintenance. Just be aware that they are chock full of technical jargon. Uh, like this. Tower tube. 42FR. Flange towers. Specific made boom. Combination assembly. Hall rope. Dog bones. Upper deflection. On Those are the original tension ramps. Cross arms. 5H slings. And the voices you're going to hear are substantial and impressive. From the Timberline crew, none other than the GM of Timberline, Rose Phillips. You're going to hear a lot of Rose in this part one of Reclaiming Palmer. Joining her are from her mountain ops and lift maintenance crews, Mike Fair, Timberline lift maintenance, Sean Kieran, Timberline lift maintenance, Logan Stewart, Timberline mountain manager. And then there's a special guest, former Timberline employee former Ski Bowl employee, former Doppelmeyer employee, Augie Eichen. And actually, he's currently down at the Scandia Peak Tramway in New Mexico, and you're going to hear him talk about the tram down there a little bit through these episodes. Now, Augie actually worked for Doppelmeyer back in 96, I believe it was, when Timberline upgraded Palmer from its original construction by Riblet Tramway when they turned it into a Doppelmeyer high-speed detachable quad. And you're going to hear all these folks talk about two previous storms before this 2020 storm that really took out Palmer Lift. But back in the 99-2000 season, and then directly following that, the next season, 2000-2001, both of those seasons, Palmer suffered extensive damage due to those planetary forces up on Mount Hood. So we're going to hear about that. And it's really cool to have Augie as part of this because he was kind of back at that retro team and knows a lot about that lift. And then the final voice you're going to hear on both of these episodes is Tom Scully, the risk control consultant for Safehold Special Risks. That's his job now. But oh, by the way, he spent about 30 years over at Mount Hood Meadows. He knows this Mount Hood weather so in-depth, just like the rest of this crew. So this is a really cool opportunity to hear all about it. 
part one here is going to be primarily Rose talking about this weather event, talking about Palmer and talking about Timberline. And it's so great. In part two, you're going to hear more from Tom and he's going to take this outside of the rope line, even off of Mount Hood. Tom's got really great perspective of the industry at large, really good safety eye. He's going to talk about doing these things safely. Really excited for it. Part one, part two of Reclaiming Palmer right now. And of course, these were live presentations. Lots and lots of people are in the room and there were accompanying slide decks. Don't forget, go down, hit those show notes. It's going to link you to these slide decks so you can follow along. Without further ado, from the April 2022 Mountain Works Conference, this is Reclaiming Palmer. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Nice to be back in a room together. Today, we're going to talk about an icing event we had in February of 2020, um, directly before COVID and all our ski areas shutting down. Some past history with the Palmer ski lift at Timberline, um, some safety-related topics and issues with de-icing and doing what some of us have to do sometimes, even if we don't want to. The original Palmer chairlift was constructed by Riblet Tramway Company in 1976. Two-passenger Riblet in the same location that Palmer is today. Um, that chairlift was not operated in the winter months. Chairs were stored in the basement, and the haul rope was lowered mid-tower by slings and plastic rollers. The first winter of this lift, there was significant damage caused to the towers, um, which brought on what you see today, the historic tripod stiffening legs that are still the current Palmer towers that, that we're using today. In 1996, with the hopes of having a chairlift that could operate year round, Timberline and RL looked to Doppelmeyer and installed a high-speed quad for passenger at increased capacity and the only thing that re was reused in that project were the towers. Historically, it looks like it made it through the first winter. It was installed in 96, 97. I suspect it ran a few days. Couldn't really find any information on that. The second winter, 98, 99, was a different story. Christmas Day, in the days following 1998, ice storm came in that was my best guess, similar to what we had in February of 2020, um, listed there on the screen is the damage that resulted from that storm. Um, Tower 2 buckled at 11, same on 21. Other towers showed signs of buckling. Cross arms were bent. There was damage to multiple assemblies. Haul rope damage and electrical damage, which isn't uncommon <coughs> in any winter with that lift. Repairs were completed in April, April of 99. Mid-December mid storm, this is the second year in a row. Damages to towers 10, 11, 12, and 21. The top of tower 12 was gone entirely. The haul rope was replaced. Uh, they converted a lot of the 4T assemblies to 4T2FRs in the hopes of securing the rope a little better when dynamic ice events happened. Uh, they also replaced tower cap bolts and did some strengthening things to the towers both of these years. But huge damage, quite 
short recovery time considering uh, the location of the Palmer chairlift, the time of year, the storms that must have been coming and going, a lot like what we were dealing with in 2020. To set the scene for um, our storm, I want to talk about pre-winter and operations and why this happened to us in 2020, or at least some contributing factors. October 16th of 2019, we had some early season snow, enough to decide to open for a day, one glorious day. We ran the Poochie chairlift in Bruno's. Followed by that was our first significant snow and ice, ice buildup on Palmer and the Mile. The Mile deroped on numerous towers, and so did Palmer. On October 24th, we replaced an assembly on Tower 20, and Palmer was able to run a night drive again. And here's a couple of pictures uh, depicting what we deal with annually on any given winter. So there was no significant snowfall early season. It, it snowed that, that day in October. We opened for one day, and then nothing really happened. Quite similar to this year, we got enough snow to scratch around, open Poochie and Bruno's November 28th, um, and then the lower lifts at Timberline didn't open until December 15th, and we had very little snowpack. In fact, a little bit of rain probably would have shut us down again. Um, looking through old notes, I believe due to the lack of snow, we decided, well, let's run Palmer for the winter. And so we prepped Palmer to run. And usually we would spend this time winterizing Palmer. Um, but there's, that's complicated too, because you need enough snow to be able to get your manpower up there, your machines up there, to do the rigging and such that we needed to do. And we just didn't simply have it until probably December 23rd when we decided to prep it to open, which we did and it took a lot of work, and we opened Palmer for the public December 28th, 29th, and 30th. Three days. Most of January, it started snowing, obviously. Uh, we run Palmer in night drive. It keeps the rope moving, prevents ice accumulation on the haul rope. Sometimes things stop that. Power safety switches, brake forks, generally related to ice buildup, shiv stopping, rope running through a shiv. Or it could be something as simple as like a power outage. And once the rope stops, it doesn't take very long to accumulate ice to prevent us from running it again. And if you can't get up there and see it and, and confirm that everything's okay and shows aren't frozen, then we often let it sit. To our recollection, it ran for the first two weeks of January. No stops. It was actually a long stint for Palmer. Uh, enough so that it filled up both terminals with ice debris coming off the haul rope. So it was doing its job. Had a couple clear days. The crew went up to winterize Palmer. And these guys will get into that, what that means a little bit here before we move on to the next slide. They were prepped to, to lower the rope on February 5th. The storm came in rather quickly that afternoon. And we thought, you know, if anything, we'd be blown off of Palmer, not be able to get up there for a couple of days. But we were wrong. Mike or Sean, do you want to touch on Go ahead, Mike. what we do to winterize Palmer? Well, everything has to be super clean so we don't have any overhead hazards falling on us we're working underneath and on top uh, we have pair frame assemblies that we mount about halfway down the tower tube depending on what the engineers want us to do uh, we rig up the rope lower it down suck it in and then land those land that rope uh, on those pair frame assemblies take some plastic rollers and put it over the top and uh, secure the rope in that um, once it's like that, we're, we're not moving it anymore. Um, 
like Rose said, there's it's it seems like a simple process, but it's very labor intensive. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, a lot of rigging, a lot of cranking with come alongs, stuff like that. A lot of cat work. That's why you have to have the snow. And the idea behind it being too that those winter assemblies are designed to shear off the tower at a certain amount of load, yep. as opposed to pull the whole tower down. Yep. So, um, so we spent a day cleaning it, getting it all nice and clean. And that means from top to bottom, because if we have any ice down at towers two and three, and it unloads, it can send a shock wave up and down, and you'll see the pictures here shortly. Um, so we had it all cleaned off, and uh, we shut it down about one o'clock in the afternoon. We were fighting wind, probably 50 mile an hour winds, trying to lower rope, um, blizzard conditions. And I wanna say it's probably about 15 degrees or so. So we had all three variables fighting us that day. Um, we shut it down about one o'clock and uh, wasn't able to get up there for a couple of days. And uh, mountain manager Logan here went up and figured out that we had a big mess up there, so. So this is what Logan found on his voyage up Palmer, February 7th. Um, so they, the, we, you were in those shifts. Point out where those, where, the, where those assemblies are. Winter assemblies, Sean. Winter so, assemblies are down here. So you're in there at that time, no, right? We're not. No, oh, we you're were not. not. We you didn't get all the way to, there. Yeah, yeah, we didn't get yeah. all the way there. We were probably had five towers. Yeah. Probably had five towers ready and then had to abort. Yeah. The original idea with this, and maybe Augie remembers, but there was a thought at one time that you were going to put them in those assemblies and then actually run the lift back and forth. Uh, that was after my time, Carl. That was Carl's, Carl's idea. Carl's idea yeah. was to get them in those assemblies and try to rock it back and forth from what he's told me in the past. Yeah, and we've heard stories of that. I don't know if it was ever implemented or if they had any, any success. Yeah. Um, you'd have to, you know, worry about your alignment and you couldn't just put whatever pair frames on those assemblies, which is what we generally do, recycle them. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the problem with that idea, correct me if I'm wrong, Augie, was uh, at Towers 4 and 23, we have what we call hanging assemblies. And those basically establish the scope so we're not going from the normal assemblies straight into the tower tube at Narrowing the next tower. The gauge yeah. So it just kind of gradually uh, scopes that into the tower. And you know, those, those hang mid-cross arm about there. Yeah, they yep. hang mid-cross arm, and uh, they're hanging down about two feet from bridles. And so I think the the worry was having that rope moving in those assemblies. Are they canted? Or? No, they are not. They're just hanging straight down from bridles. So this was a gut punch to, uh, to all of us, really knowing that this could happen and that it had happened historically. This didn't feel good at all. Uh, the second picture there is the Magic Mile. You know, we called Bill Brett and Mark Wood up a couple of days later when it was clear and neither of them had ever seen that much ice on the Magic Mile. I know that Meadows, our neighbors, struggled with this storm with their upper lifts too. It took us two weeks to de-ice that lift and reopen it. Uh, the ice was just that hard. On the mile. On the mile. And it, it, a lot of the ice fell off on Palmer, but it was also as hard. This, this is not a failure. This is the haul rope just coming off this assembly right to the ground. It's still on rubber there. Some weight. Yeah. That's just the weight of the, the ice. 
Yeah, most people probably can't see that rope, but that's probably, what is that, like 18 inches of ice? Yeah, at least. At yeah. least, it's, yeah, that's big. When the lift fell down, um, and you're gonna talk about that later, I think, right? About Well, I can talk about it now, it's a good time. The notes here from Gamunder's report to the insurance company uh, said the ice at Tower 16 was six and a half feet in circumference, um, which is 2.7 feet around in diameter, and lower at the bottom. Um, anybody have their phone on you? They did also weighed some ice. The average of a pound of ice per foot well, 115 pounds. Who's got a calculator on the phone they can grab out right now? Was that at the 99 event? Yeah, uh, nine, the first one, 98, okay. 99. 98, 99, yeah. Um, 115 pounds per foot. We'll just do the simplest calculation here. I know I ordered that haul road was 11,000 feet. It's like one, over a million. million. <laughs> pounds of ice, potentially, 1 .1 million more pounds. or less, depending on yeah. the size, the density of the ice. Reading through this, there are a lot of similarities in the conditions the amount of ice. I, I, the 98, 99 storm, there was a lot more wind. Um, and there's equations here for wind load with ice that big also. But that, to give you an idea, it's a lot of weight, a lot yeah. of extra weight. We'll talk a little bit later more about what the weather conditions are like, but this is ice ice. Like if you went to the store and bought a brick of ice, a 10 pound block, it's like that. Cocktail ice it's is supposed to See right through it, and so imagine a 10 pound block, you know, put five of those or so in a ball. It's, or yeah, 10 yeah. or 15 of those in a ball yeah. every foot. And, and hard enough that when you hit it with just a five pound sledge or brass hammer, it does absolutely nothing <laughs> sometimes. Well, and just, and just touching on that, you know, we've created some of our own custom tools where we've created, you know, hypodermic spikes more or less, where we get some steel tubing and turn one end into a spike and then you're using that to chisel off pieces of the tower as you work. Yeah. Almost like working to with stone. To get down to the steel to hopefully yep. get yeah. some vibration yeah. going. Yeah. It's like over, yep. over an hour to de-ice just one thing. Yeah. The next uh, pictures are a few, just a few days later on a yeah. better day. Now that's probably got some rhyme in it right there. That's a lot of snow. So, yeah. But you couldn't get that off the tower too. I'd, I'd to peel that off with the cat. It just wouldn't Really, you budge. had to scrape it off with the cat, yeah. This is a, the same picture, but better weather that we were looking at earlier with the ice on the rope tower, two, three. So that one span is about 350 feet between three and four. And, you know, calculate that weight of that ice. You know, we're talking, it's like hanging a couple snow cats off of that span. That's 40, 50,000 pounds of ice in one span just on one side. Now there's not much rhyme on that right there. <laughs> That's your drinking water for the next 10 years. Yeah, we pulled that piece off of uh, the catwalk on Tower 22 um, with the snowcat. Uh, we had to climb up there with nothing to uh, clip onto. Uh, all of our points for clipping in were off and Brandon went up and uh, put a 10-foot endless sling around it. We hooked it up to a cat and pulled it off. I remember because I brought my chainsaw to work that day to try to cut it out maybe, but it was really tough. That's uh, Tower 1, D-roped. You don't see that very often. So that's Tower 22 right there. And then the one below, 
uh, the lifting gantry is completely plucked off of the tower cap. Did any of the uh, any of the flange towers? Did any of the, those fail? No. Uh, you know, with the yield bolts. No. No, but we replaced them. The bolts, oh, the, anyway. The 307 bolts. Yeah. yeah. And this one, one side was in the capture and the other one wasn't? Um, that's because we'd started the recovery. This yeah. was a few days later. Oh, okay. We picked the light side up off the ground and put it in the winter okay. assembly after we de-iced it. Yeah. But that, that's, that's what it looks like in the winter assembly. So we were actually putting it to bed or winterizing uh, with all of this damage trying to finish it and secure the rope and then move on to fixing what's broke. This came out of the heavy side in a combination assembly and got up and over the lifting frame. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's impressive. And that's the downhill side of that. Uh, you can see on the, uh, you want to get the right where the rope is, Sean? Yeah. We'll have a better picture uh, in a minute, but yeah, that rope is just molded into Cool. Into that steel, it almost looks like somebody in an cool. instant took heat to it. Wow! Did you save that, that piece? Awesome. <laughs> we have it somewhere. We yes. have it somewhere. Yeah, that's cool. It took me once we got the uh, verticals and everything cut off of the tower. Um, we lowered that. We pulled all the assemblies off both sides. Uh, cut the stuff. Secured the rope with uh, come-alongs on each side. Um, to the assemblies so it wouldn't move. Uh, and then went up with grinding wheel and started cutting stuff off. And once we got just that little part that the rope is encased in, we drug it off the tower and set it on the ground. And it took about five or six hours to just cut that little piece off the rope. Yeah, and I just want to touch on, you know, Scully, you mentioned how impressive it is jumping up over the outside of the assembly and landing on the top. There's any given winter that's going to happen once or twice for us, you know, so much so we have a specific made boom that we land on top of the tower tube, you know, to pick up the haul rope and we just inch it out over the edge so you can finally, you know, the end of the boom is over the end of the uh, tower frame and you can lift it out and put it on where it's supposed to be. So that is not uncommon in our world. This is uncommon. This is uncommon <laughs> for sure. But the rope landing on top of the tower, yeah, we probably do that once or twice a year. Yep. And then that's all the stuff built up on the side of the tower tube. It also shows your bridal assembly there. Yeah, yeah there's yeah, there's bridles a bridle. right there. Yeah. And you can see a little natural cant to it, you're right. Oh, that's hanging from a sling then, right? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Wire rope. And it's small enough wire rope that it can break. They have it that's Yeah, I think it's quarter inch. Yeah. Back in the old days we used five eight slings. It was too big. Uh, no, it was for just to support the oh, rope with instead the, of the with shields. the shackles. Yeah. yeah. And the next series of pictures is the, is the rope damage. Um, not all of it, just to, you know, some of the pictures that we took all in different locations. So on those previous events, we didn't have that kind of rope damage. We had some smeared, smeared wires, and, but no, and a few broken wires here and there, but it wasn't enough to retire the rope. So that's, that's impressive. Yeah, and, and we, were hopefully, we were hopeful that we could just do a strand repair in a couple locations. And after, you know, consulting Mark Wood and talking with RJ, it just ordered the rope. So I actually did that on the 9th of February. So this video, once it's playing, will, will illustrate the 
power and force needed to land on the top of those cross arms and crush them like that. You'll see upper deflection on this rope. We're going to drag this line. Sean, show them where the rope goes in the ground there. Mike's in the cat. He's pulling this uh, sh uh, shackle through this line to get that out of the ground and release that load. And when it comes up, uh, it'll be hard to see, but you can freeze frame it. And that rope is going to go about 15 feet above the top of those cross arms in the air and send that wave up the line. And that's tip, probably what the event was during the storm cycle. It unloaded at some point, most of it did, and just started double dutching that haul rope all over the place. Your, your shackle's all the way on the uphill side here? Yeah. Okay. Well, Which I've is... actually, I mean, that rope was buried. We've actually dug alongside of it a little bit to yeah. give it a little bit of help. We hook a shackle on up at tower four and then drag it to that point where it was in the ground. And then we kind of got everybody clear. Clear. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, this is a, a situation that <laughs> is not common at all. But so, at some point, that's, that's what? five days after the event, yeah. at least. It's not coming off at this point, so we gotta get it off there or else we can't be on the lift because there's so much potential energy there sitting in that loop. It's gotta get off of there. And uh, So at this point, where's the carriage? Do you got any tension on the carriage or do you got it up against the stops? I think up it's, against the stops. it pulled it to the stops, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. Are those the original tension rams? I never. As far as I know, them. in my time, they haven't been changed, Augie. Have they been rebuilt since then, or uh, we've had some seal stuff? Seal done. ends. Yeah. You haven't had to re redo the pistons. pistons? No. But they've been through three events. Those are some. That's impressive. That's a pretty long um, carriage ways. Yeah. You know, they have the dog bones at the top that they can adjust that carriage and two different positions. So the recovery begins in total. Uh, we were de-roped on 23 assemblies, most of the lift, quite honestly. Some inside, some outside, some, some on the laying ground. on the ground. All um, different. That one's got pushed off the tower, is that correct? Yeah. The rope was mangled in between pair frames and where it shouldn't be in a lot of, lot of places. We lost two tower cross arms and lifting frames. A haul rope needed to be replaced. 15 assemblies needed to be pulled and rebuilt. Luckily, we have a pretty healthy stock of replacement parts, uh, specifically 402. <laughs> but we went through all of it, quite honestly. Um, tower cap bolts and console bolts and some of the collar bolts we replaced and electrical work. But all in all, electrical work is something we expect to do almost entirely every year for the most part. After this storm, the crew got everything together and winterized by February 13th. So not a lot of time between the event when we were able to assess it uh, to where it was somewhat secure in winter assemblies and could sit for a little bit while we waited for the stuff we needed to repair it. And then, you know, this happened to all of us, uh, COVID. Uh, our ski area closed the 15th. Uh, everybody, it was weird. It's like everybody just left. Perimeters were still up, all the patrol gear was still out, and no one really knew when we were going to be back. A handful of us, and I mean a handful, five to ten, four in the mountain department. First two weeks, I think we had four, me, you, Steve, and Yeah, Jackie. and four it was people. kind of creepy. Started snowing in March, too. We had some of the best snow we'd had all year. 
But by April 15th, a month later, uh, we got given permission to bring in critical personnel to start working on the recovery efforts on Palmer specifically. Uh, the staff on the maintenance team that came back worked uh, weather permitting uh, during the windows to pull down and repair and replace the assemblies that, that we could do, uh, that we had the parts for while we waited for the haul rope and the cross arms. Well, the delivery date on the haul rope when I ordered it in February was April 15th. Um, we were quite honestly worried we were gonna get it at all when you know, the ports started shutting down, supply chain issues were affecting everyone, um, including St. Jerome, Doppelmeyer, getting the cross arms built into us. Um, but it worked out. Let's remind everybody that June 1st is the start of our busiest time of the year, our summer season. So that the whole point here was to get this thing back up and running. Palmer is our, is our gig in the summer. So that was our goal. COVID was allowing us to reopen and wondering if we we're gonna get our supplies that we needed to, to do this job right. So pressure was kind of on. Yeah, May 7th, we flew the tower cross arms up to 21 and 22. Uh, the 15th of May, we reopened the ski area. Uh, Storm and Normans and the Magic Mile. Um, it was kind of nice not having to worry about operating lifts while we were working on Palmer, but that ended on May 15th. Um, also something we're used to, I suppose. May 24th, we began to replace the, the rope, uh, which meant we had to take the old rope and put it back up on the assemblies that we rebuilt so we could string the new rope. Uh, that process started on the 24th, of May and we completed it on the 30th of May with the help of Doppelmeyer and their great team that had showed up to help to build Poochie. Early June, we did annual pre-op work and finished up the electrical and we reopened Palmer to the public for the summer, June 17th. It ended up uh, being our best summer on the books. Wow. In the midst of 2020. <laughs> but awesome. some other interesting things, how do you get the rope up there? Uh, Logan, you want to talk about this picture? Yeah, this is a screenshot. On my, on my Apple phone, it was interesting. Sean, if you can trace that. Sure. The lodge is at the bottom, and then top of the miles, uh, bottom of Palmer's at the top of that screen. That's the mile service road, which is our summer road. So that's about a mile and a half road, that dirt road that we had to carve out of the snow to get the rope up there, the crane, um, all of our equipment to do the new rope install and splice. Uh, originally we were talking about doing a, a sled over snow sled, but uh, some of you have probably tried to operate on the south side of Mount Hood in May. It's impossible. There's some nights you can't even put your tiller down to climb up the hill. So dragging yeah. it up the hill with the snowcat seemed unlikely. Uh, hit a couple warm spells. So we just started carving out the road. It took about a week to carve out the road the first time and then it snowed another three days, second time, another three days, third time. A little ice storm in between there. Uh, so it was a project. Uh, grooming crew did a really amazing job getting that done and then getting the thing up there. Um, hired a crane, uh, off-road crane, come on up. That's a 90 ton from Ness Campbell. They did an awesome job moving the spool around, loaded it in the back of a, uh, I think it's a 30 ton dump truck and drove it right up the hill. It was like clockwork. I couldn't believe it actually worked because I stressed for a month trying to figure out how to get this 55,000 pound spool up the mountain on a melting snowfield. 
But uh, once you got the dirt exposed and the sun was up, it, it melted out pretty good and it, it went pretty well from there. By this, by this time, you know, Doppelmayr's on scene and they're doing all the rigging for the splice and the re-ropement. But uh, it was a pretty cool thing to, not a cool thing at the time, but looking back, it was pretty, pretty cool thing to do. Doppelmayr brought their horizontal spooler, which meant we didn't have to carry all the weight back down at the same time, which was nice, made it a lot easier. Yeah, getting it back down the hill Respooled intact would have been not fun. I think there were a couple comments about, well, getting up's fine, but coming back down, we don't know. And I rented a dozer to, as a braking machine, and the guy in the crane's like, it's not going to do anything. Like, if it cuts loose, just jump. <laughs> All right. So that kind of wraps up Palmer recovery portion of this. Yeah, for those of you that don't know what goes into that, I, I can't say enough about the Timberline crew. Um, and what they do every year up there. It is a freaking phenomenal job. Honestly, people from the rest of the country have no clue what goes on. And they, they've really been very modest about the work they've done. They've only scratched the surface of what was involved here. And it's not just in this job, but it's been going back for decades. They're just trying to ski up on Palmer. It's, it's a Herculean effort, a and it's a detachable that has a midway station. They didn't even mention that, that there's a rope, there's the rope has to come out of a midway station on a detachable and then get put back in there every year and then get put to bed every year. So there's that pressure of running the ski area down below, down at the normal elevations with a lift up, up above that's trying to destroy itself. And the crew has to kind of deal with that. And it literally is so hard that one of the hardest men in the industry was moved to, he moved to New Mexico because of it. <laughs> Follow that chair on out. Come on out to that red line. How y'all doing today? Good, how about you? Oh, it's living the dream, you know? It's another beautiful day in paradise. Here comes that chair, guys. Yeah. Enjoy. Time for a chairlift thought, and it's been a while. Have you ever heard of the phrase type two fun? Sure you have, with type one fun being, well, something fun. Skateboarding, skiing, skinny dipping, hanging out with your kids, whatever it is, the thing that was fun to plan, fun to do, and fun to think about after. Yeah, type two fun. Well, that's the one that maybe you plan, don't have that great of a time while you're doing it, but you love thinking about it after. The type of thing that you do it for the story. Probably the folks competing in the race to Alaska, the 750 mile motorless ocean race from Port Townsend, Washington to Ketchikan, Alaska. Probably type two fun. But you know, after hearing everything we just did, I think Logan said it best. But, uh, it was a pretty cool thing to, not a cool thing at the time, but looking back, it was pretty, pretty cool thing to do. Reclaiming Palmer, type two fun. So come on back for part two of that discussion. It's gonna be a good time.
make sure you subscribe so the next episode pops up on your feed. Leave us some reviews and we'll see you next time when we talk about how the mountain works. Goggy Foggles! <laughs>